pray. Father, uh, we just ask for your guidance today by your spirit. As we look into your word, we pray that you would guide us in all truth. And thank you for your nearness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. If you would like to turn with me to uh, Hebrews chapter 5, that's where we'll be today. I usually start, I try to, try and start with something a little bit humorous. I was uh, bottom of the barrel this week, but I do have three words. They're going to be three of the most painful words I'll ever say as a joke. The Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, I'm sorry. So if you're a football fan, you understand and my heart hurts. No, I'm just kidding. I, I mean, they're a joke right now. Okay. As we look into God's Word today, to uh, give us that context we always would love to see, I've just got a couple of things. We will start in chapter 4, verse 14, to give us, uh, to give us the run-up to verse 1 of chapter 5 and going forward. But also, just a reminder, something I haven't mentioned the last couple of times I've taught on Hebrews. Hebrews is a sermon to believing Jews struggling under persecution, considering going back to Judaism. Consider that. We don't know who the group is. We don't know where they were located. Maybe Galatia, maybe uh, maybe Palestine, maybe in Israel. Most people think outside of Israel, but a group of believers. Um, some say possibly former priests, maybe from the Levitical line, maybe a group that's possibly former priests. But what we know is that they're Jewish believers. They're struggling. There's some persecution. And they're considering, some of them at least, considering going back to the law, going back to Judaism. So as we study, we can have that in mind. Our passage today, again, we're going to start in verse 14. Chapter 4, verse 14, and continue through chapter 5, verse 10. So let's read this together. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things, as we are, yet without sin. Therefore let us draw near with confidence the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God, in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided, since he himself also is beset with weakness. And because of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins, as for the people, so also for himself. And no one takes this honor to himself, but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself, so as to become a high priest, but he who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Just as he says also in another passage, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he had suffered And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. 
being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. There is our passage for today. You know, it's hard to divorce the high priest-focused verses at the end of chapter 4 from chapter 5, so that's why I include them today. Through the first four chapters of the book, or nearly four chapters, we only have two mentions of the high priest. They are chapter 2, verse 17, which reads this way. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, the other mention of the high priest before our passage today. Chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Now, as we get into our passage today, we're getting into a section of Hebrews that for some four chapters, maybe up to six chapters, is really just focused on this high priestly role of Christ and how it works and why and how it relates to the Old Testament and so many different descriptions of why this high priestly role is important. There are 22 mentions of high priest in the coming six chapters. Six of which are mentioned in the 13 verses that we'll cover today. So it's very focused on this high priestly role. Last week we saw two of these references, and that's where we picked up today, in verse 14. Verse 14 again, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Do you know that under the law, the Levitical priesthood, they never had a great high priest. They never had a great high priest. Not one mention of a great high priest in all 37 Old Testament books. Actually, there's no mention in God's Word until this verse right here of a great high priest. Jesus is the only great high priest. He's unique. That's what the book of Hebrews is about. Jesus is better. He's unique. He is a great high priest. He's not just a high priest. High priest is an important role to the Jews. Very important. Oh, there's one who's better. This great high priest. And for this verse to kind of come into play, there's a required backstory. If it's going to have its full meaning to the recipients or to us as readers. So the Trinity exists in eternity past, right? Exists in eternity past. And then we've got in the beginning, we have creation, including the heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth are created. God creates even his own abode where he's going to live, where he's going to say, this is my place, this is my time. He creates the heavens and the earth. They didn't exist. The heavens didn't exist from eternity pass. He creates his own abode. And within that perfect plan, one member of said trinity would take on human flesh and become a sacrificial lamb, the son, obviously. He would be resurrected on the third day, and then, after his resurrection, some days later, he passed through the heavens. That's what we see here in verse 14. 
Therefore, since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens. This is unique. What's that mean? He passed through the heavens. I kind of maybe can just read and just read over it. I have many times and read over it. Okay, sure. He so he went to heaven or something, right? When at what point? When did he go to heaven? So I just kind of pass over it sometimes as I read it. But I think there's something key here. Jesus was taken up in the clouds, and Luther Smith, when he came and spoke, he preached and talked to us about the ascension and the important doctrine of the ascension. Jesus was taken up in the clouds. He passed through the starry heavens into that holy abode, the holy of holies. He had left that place some 30 plus years earlier. The Old Testament high priest could pass through the veil once a year into the holy of holies, this place on earth which was made to be like the temple in uh, in heaven, made to be like the holy of holies in heaven. They could pass through that veil Once a year. And it was an event. Jesus passed through the heavens into the Holy of Holies once for all. So he passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. And because of it, we should hold fast, we're told there at the end of verse 14. And as we get into verses 15 and 16, this continues the theme. Our great high high priest has been tempted in all things. He can sympathize with us. We mentioned this last week, so I won't hammer on it too hard. And he is ministering grace and mercy to us from the Holy of Holies, from before his Father. And therefore, we should draw near. And therefore, we should hold fast. As I was studying, I ran across the uh, Gettys song. The Lord is in his holy temple. I don't know if you know it. I know Daniel knows it. <laughs> um, I wasn't familiar with it until yet, uh, yesterday, the day before yesterday, as I was studying, I ran across this song. Which is based on Habakkuk 2, verse 20, which reads this way. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Jesus returned to his rightful place. At the right hand of the Father, in the Holy of Holies. This is good. The work was finished. Remember chapter 1, verse 3? He sat down because the work was finished and he returned to his rightful place. All is right and we only await his return in the clouds in the same way that he left. And he'll take us to be with him and later he'll set up his kingdom on earth. Therefore, since we have this great high priest, let us hold fast. Do we live with that reverence? Do I live with that reverence? The Lord is in his holy temple. I want to live like this is true. Now moving into chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 1. For every high priest is taken from among men, is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God. Now, here in Hebrews, we're told that he's appointed on behalf of men. If we turn back to Exodus 28 and 29, we'd see that this high priest was appointed on behalf of God. Well, which is true. Well, and both. 
I know we would all confirm both. If they're both in God's word, they're both true. Yes, God wanted this high priest to serve him. And the humans needed a high priest to serve on their behalf in this way. What does he do? He offers gifts of worship and sacrifices for sins. That's what we see at the end of verse 5. On behalf of men and things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. And as we continue, we see in verse 2 that he can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided since he himself is also beset with weakness. Deal gently. Why? Why is that mentioned? Is the gentleness of the high priest? What's going on there? He has to bridle hold in his maybe his natural disgust at the deplorable state of God's people and many times in Israeli history or Hebrew history. Their sensuality, their recurring failure at times, he might feel hopeless, alienated, might feel like a hypocrite. Now there's a flip side to that, and we'll get to it in a minute. Uh, but here in this verse, when we see that he can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided, there's actually only one article that's attached to both of those. So it's, so it's saying humanity, these people that he has to deal with, are ignorant and misguided. They're both of these. It's not two separate groups. Humans are both. I think the author is actually being kind of nice. Are we only ignorant and misguided? Mm, yeah, maybe sometimes hard-hearted, maybe sometimes desiring our own, maybe sometimes, you know, we could add to the list. As a secondary application here, how am I, how are you doing at dealing with the ignorant and misguided in your life? You ever feel like the one who might be the ignorant and misguided? I know I feel like that. I know I am that. If not, let me shoot you a little message. Uh, our author assumes that the Old Testament high priest would deal gently because they were human. They were weak. They were sinful. I sure hope you see me as ignorant and misguided because I want you to deal with me gently. And I hope I see you in our relationships as ignorant and misguided because I, I should make this my goal to, to deal with everyone in my life, especially believers, gently. Gently. And uh, as we continue in verse 3, because of it, he is obligated, this high priest is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins. As for the people, so also for himself. Quick question. What if the high priest gets this part wrong? What if he says to himself, Self? I think I've had a pretty good year. No sin that I can remember, I'll just offer the sacrifice for the people and not the one for me. Dead. They'd hear the ringing of the bells on his clothing and they'd have to pull him out by the rope attached. That's what would happen if he gets this part wrong. Because he's obligated to offer sacrifices for sins, as for the people so also for himself. 
So verses 2 and 3 explain how this system helped keep the high priest and hopefully other leaders humble. Oh, yes, I need to offer this for myself. I need to offer for the people. I need to offer sin offering for myself. Continuing in verse 4. And no one takes this honor to himself, but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. Only those who God chose served in this office. Verse 1 tells us that they were appointed. Thousands of men were born into the line of Aaron, a Levitical line. Any of them could have been chosen. Many were not. Thousands were not. They were appointed. They could not choose this appointment. Now, this did cease to be true later on when they lost uh, track, in essence, of the Levitical line, you would say, beginning with Babylonian captivity. So they're taken out of the land, and now they're not at the temple, and now they, they kind of lose this appointment uh, nature. Uh, then the high priesthood became, later on, a political appointment. Um, However, the author was speaking of Israel as a sovereign nation. The author may have had in mind some of the elite families of Jerusalem, which had been seeking out the office of high priest for themselves. Although they were approved by the state, they were not approved by God. So the author may be speaking against that right here and saying, hey, this job, being high priest is about an appointment. It's not about choosing it, wanting it, trying to get it for yourself. Verses 5 and 6 continue. So also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest, but he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Just as he also says in another passage, You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. God appointed Christ as son, king, priest forever, who, when he sat down at the right hand of God following the ascension, The kingdom had not begun yet, uh, but he did sit down, priest forever. This quote from Psalm 2 and Psalm 110, the quote that we find in verses 5 and 6, both obviously speak of Jesus as the kingly heir who is also appointed high priest, the great high priest. The appeal to Melchizedek, we'll treat in more depth later on when we get to chapter 7, is first mentioned in the scripture, Melchizedek is first mentioned in the scriptures as an archetype of all priesthood. Like he's the start. He's the starting point for this priesthood. And the fact that he is mentioned brings in uh, Jesus' validation, his validation as a priest because he's not from the Levitical line. So we have to have this mention here that says here's why Jesus can be priest. It's different. It's the Melchizedekan priesthood, not the Levitical priesthood. Uh, Again, we're talking about Jesus is better than the Aaronic priesthood, better than this Levitical priesthood. He's better. There was no succession of priests from Melchizedek. We'll find that out again in chapter 7. And thus, no order. There's no order of Melchizedek. Jesus, however, was a priest of this kind, not like Aaron, not like Aaron's successors, not like the Levitical priesthood. When we get to later chapters, we'll finish that with Melchizedek. Uh, But continuing into verse 7. In the days of his flesh, speaking of Jesus, he offered up both prayers and supplications 
with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. This is a fine picture, I think, of Christ's attitude toward the Father in prayer. In Gethsemane, specifically, and then, I would say, in all of his prayers. Jesus in Gethsemane in his Passion Week, at once he surrendered his will to that of the Father, who heard his plea, who heard his plea and enabled him to acquiesce to the Father's will, to take his will and say, not mine, but yours, Lord. Also in this, uh, in this verse, we've kind of got an olive branch idea. It says that Jesus offered up these prayers. He offered up these prayers. Later rabbinic writings refer to three kinds of prayers. Entreaty, crying, and tears. All that to say Jesus' prayers are here described for these Jews as the highest level. He's at the tears level. With crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. Do you see the end of the verse? Can it be true? He offered them up to the one able to save him and he was heard. Uh, But then he died. But he was heard. And he was heard, the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. Maybe, as some might read it, they might say, wait, he he wasn't saved. He did die. He did have to go to the cross. He wasn't saved. Oh, he was. He was. We know as believers, he was heard. And he lived. Three days in the grave, he rose up. He lived. And he lives today. Verse 8, although he was a son... He learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And verses 8 and 9 are kind of the hard ones here. He learned obedience. This is speaking of Jesus. That's hard to handle. And then verse 9, and having been made perfect. Oh, my goodness. Uh, what do we do with these passages? They're a challenge. So in verse 8, there, similarly, similarly, Jesus grew in favor with God and man. So it says that uh, he learned obedience. We learned in Luke 2 that he grew in favor. How could Jesus grow in something like he's God? How could Jesus uh, learn obedience? He's God. Well, in his human nature, you've got something unique going on there. Um, we have to have we have to make sure also as we look at verse 8 that we have a right view of obedience. If our three kids were in the room, I might need to spend even longer on this. No, we have to have a right view of obedience. Um, Just over 12 years ago, Kelly and I uh, said our vows to each other. And in those vows, some people told her, you should not say these vows. In my vows, I lay down my life for you, Kelly, my friend and my love. In her vows, to love, to cherish, and to obey. A lot of people, they're striking that one these days. This is bad. Obedience is a bad thing. That's the way our world views it. Is it a bad thing? Uh, We're told in Hebrews 13 to obey our leaders, submit to them, for they're keeping watch over our souls. Our elder board, our pastor in a church, we should look to them and say, "How how would you want me to help? How would you want me to handle this? Obey our leaders. If they're leading in an evil way, obviously we're going to have to wonder about it. But I 
don't think that's what I find. I haven't had one situation in open door that I've personally said, this is trouble, I shouldn't obey my leader. No, step in. Obedience is a beautiful thing. Obedience, Jesus obeying his Father, is a beautiful picture. It's not one showing like some evil thing that should never... No, it's beautiful. As the Son, Jesus obeyed the Father. We don't have to fully understand it, but we have to understand and believe that it's good because it's revealed. And it's right and obedience is wonderful. And verse 9 continues, this completion of the process of training. For this completion of the process of training to happen, he had to suffer. It be completed. To be able to be a perfect high priest, he had to suffer. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. This experience as human perfected Jesus in a human sense, not in a, he needed it in his godhood. Uh, perfected Jesus in the sense that it completed him by giving him experiential knowledge of what human beings must endure. To those who will obey him in belief, he is our only source of eternal salvation. So he understood what we had gone through, and he was faithful, and he had full integrity in all of those things in which he was tempted and which he experienced as a man. We're almost there. Verse 10. Being designated by God as a high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. Jesus Christ is not only superior to angels. He's not only the superior revelation from God. He's not only superior to Moses, but he's also superior to Aaron and this Levitical priesthood. There's solidarity from our heavenly high priest with the earthly community of Christ. In our weakness, he has solidarity with us. He understands. He's been there. He's been there. He's done that. In our suffering, in our pain, in our betrayal, he's felt that. If he was not our high priest, we could not come in to the presence of God. There would be no approaching the throne of grace. Our sins would still be a weight on us, and so many other awful effects of sin would be a reality if he were not our great high priest. Praise God for the great high priest, Jesus, who passed through the heavens. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Let us draw near to his throne. Let us hold fast. Let us deal gently with one another especially in the body of Christ. Jesus was appointed by the Father to a greater priesthood. He was heard and is heard by the Father. He was perfected for the purpose of sympathizing with us and being our source of eternal salvation. Do you know him? If you don't, please speak to me or one of the elders after church as soon as possible, as soon as possible. Pull us out. If you don't know him, today's the day of salvation. If you do know him, be silent before him. 
draw near to him and hold fast to him. Let us pray. Father, I just uh, pray that by your spirit you would teach us. God, thank you for um, your word. Thank you for the many ministers of your word in this church, those who uh, come and teach, teach our children, uh, teach here in the service, teach in Sunday school. God, I pray that you would use your word in our lives. Pray that through the week we would spend time in your word and learn of you. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your great high priest that you've given us in Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name.